I want to thank Pastor Grant for inviting me here and for that wonderful and gracious introduction. You can tell we have a mutual admiration club. I admire, uh, he admires me, and of course, I admire myself. <laughs> no, 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 let's set the record straight. I, I admire him, and he admires me for admiring him. <laughs> But this is, this is not a joke. I saw him singing. Are, do you know there are very few singing senior pastors in the world? I can't do that in my own church. I mean, some of you are saying, how do you know unless you try? I did once. And after singing, this is a true story. An older member of the church came, put his arms around me and said, Pastor, stick to preaching. Because I have hidden talents in singing, the more hidden, the better. <laughs> so today I'll stick to preaching and I, I came not because I have to say something. I really believe in divine appointments. I believe I came because there is something to say. So turn with me in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 3. In one of the most defining moments in Joshua's leadership and in a profound narrative that is giving to us, given to us, that gives to us a spiritual compass of navigating through tough and difficult times. Joshua chapter 3, I'd like to begin with verse 3. And commanded the people, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. In another version it says, pursue it. Would you bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, once again, let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in your sight. And help us, not just to be hearers of your word, but do us also, that we may grow thereby. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. About a hundred years ago, the Titanic sank and many sank, and many passed away in the icy waters. There was one survivor who's, uh, one among the survivors, there was one millionaire by the name of Major Arthur Pukin. He told the time he knew that the Titanic was sinking, he rushed back to his first class cabin because there's a safe where he kept his cash, his jewelry, and his stocks and bonds. And as he was about to open the safe to retrieve it, suddenly it dawned upon him the hardcore cash means nothing in the icy waters of the Titanic. Instead, his attention was turned to three oranges on the table in the state's room. And he stuffed the three oranges in his pockets because maybe they could give him nutrition, maybe they could, it could quench the thirst, uh, his thirst. And, and so he rushed out. And in that cataclysmic moment of the Titanic sinking, Major Arthur Pukin was able to distinguish between the essentials and the non-essential. In Christianity and discipleship today, that's exactly what the church needs, to be able to distinguish between the essentials and the non-essentials. And when we go through difficult times, dark moments, when we are faced with obstacles that cannot be overcome, like crossing the uncrossable Jordan at flood tide, we need to come back to these fundamentals. There are three foundational 
principles I'd like to share with you from Joshua chapter 3 that will help us in crossing the uncrossables of our life, in overcoming the dark and difficult days, the, the extreme difficulties or problems and challenges we find in life, that our discipleship to Jesus and the Christianity we embrace might be victorious in Him. Here's the first principle. Having a heart to follow. In verse 3, it says, when you see the Ark of the Covenant move, carried by the Levitical priests, follow hard after it. Pursue it. The Ark of the Covenant, as you know, represents the presence of God. And this is fundamentally important for us to realize that the lenses, uh, the narrative lenses in this biblical story was not focused upon the problem, which is the, the Jordan at flood tide. It was springtime, harvest time. The northern mountains like Mount Hermon has melted its snow and there's a torrential flood and the Jordan becomes impossible to cross. I'm a Singaporean. We don't have rivers in Singapore. We have a river called Singapore River, which is only a drain. The Jordan is about a quarter mile wide to about a one and a half miles wide at its widest. And in flood tide, it's impossible, impossible to cross. The focus wasn't upon the obstacle, the river. The, the focus wasn't upon the people their faces, their anticipations, their anxieties. The focus wasn't even on Joshua, the young commander. The narrative focus, the lenses, was zoomed in on the Ark of the Covenant. And it represents for us the very presence of God. You see, in our journey, especially through hard times, encountering the presence of God and knowing the preciousness of His presence is exceedingly important. When you see the Ark move, Follow hard after it. But here's the thing we've got to realize. Very often, to pursue the presence of God and follow hard after Him, we must come out of our comfort zone. I learned that lesson about 15 years ago. When a group of Singapore pastors went to East Malaysia for a revival series of revival meetings, and we, we met with the pastors, uh, the pastors and the leaders trained them. And in the night, we rented the largest auditorium in the city and we took turns preaching. That night, I wasn't preaching. My friend was. So I was sitting in front praying for him and the congregation. And the Spirit of the Lord fell upon me and said, Son, go behind. I thought it was a very good idea because behind, I could see the congregation, see my friend preaching. And I can continue this prayer burden the Lord has given to me to pray for the meetings. As I was behind while I was praying, all of a sudden, the, the Lord spoke to me precisely, specifically, and clearly. Son, dance. Edmund Chan, don't do dance. I pastor an evangelical free church. I'm an evangelical son of a non-dancing evangelical. I mean, even if I wanted to dance, I don't know how. So I struggled with him, but I told the Lord, since, since I, I served him uh, as, as a minister of the gospel, I said, Lord, each time you speak to me, confirm by the word of God. And the word of God came. David danced before the Lord. And I went like, Lord, send David to dance. Edmund Chan, don't do dance. 
but I knew it was an obedience issue. It was totally outside my comfort zone. But I obeyed the prompting of the Lord and I twirled around and danced the worst dance in the history of the Christian church. But as I followed the Lord out of my comfort zone with a heart just to do whatever He says to me, the, the Lord spoke to me a prophetic word. Now let me explain this term, a prophetic word. Prophecy has created a lot of difficulties and misunderstanding in the church today. Because a lot of things that are not a prophetic word has been mislabeled. The danger with prophecy is when prophets begin speaking for God, but end up speaking as God. That's the danger. The great danger is when prophetic word is given outside the Word of God, the Holy Scriptures. That's why our grounding must be in the Word of God. In my own church, an evangelical free church, Covenant EFC, I teach my members and the church leaders belief in signs and wonders. Follow God in signs and wonders. But never build your life on foundation, on the foundation of signs and wonders because there's only one foundation that is worthy, the Word. The living Word, Jesus Christ, and the written Word, the Holy Scriptures. But the Scriptures tell us of a supernatural God who works in supernatural ways, a speaking God who is alive and well on planet Earth today. So the prophetic Word came. I, I mean... Sometimes in the church, we misunderstand a word of exaltation for a prophetic word. For example, I, there, there are prophecies, something like, I, I see chains around you, God is breaking the chains. Or I see a hot new horizon and God is leading you to a new destination. I believe these are well-intentioned words. But they are more like words of exaltation rather than prophecy. Prophecy is usually combined with word of knowledge. There are things that we have no prior knowledge of and there's a burden of the Lord to be declared. Here's a specific word. There's a woman dressed in yellow. Her husband has just left her. Her heart is broken. Say to her three things. God said, I am your husband. I love you. I will take care of you. That night, I opened my eyes in the auditorium and was dismayed because for some reason that evening, there were so many women dressed in yellow. It's like, which one? Can you imagine going to the wrong one? Excuse me, your husband has just left you. No, I'm not married. Your future husband. <laughs> you can't say that. Or can you imagine I go to one and say, your husband has just left you. Oh, my husband is here. And she turns to her husband and says, are you thinking of leaving me? I cannot be party to domestic violence. So I opened my eyes. There were so many women dressed in yellow. By the time the service was over, I walked down the center aisle and the Lord spoke to me. I'm not a God of accident. Not a God of chance. I'm a God of divine appointment. And as a sign to you, your wife is already speaking to her. I came right to the front and was speaking to women dressed in yellow. Faith rised up in my heart. And so I went to Anne who was speaking. I said, Anne, hang on a moment. I have something to say to this lady. I turned to her and said, your husband has just left you. Your heart is broken. The Lord says three things to you. I, the Lord, I'm your husband. I love you. I'll take care of you. She started to cry. It must be God. It must be God. And Anne and I laid hands, prayed for her. And I wish there's a video recorder to record the countenance. That the darkness was lifted up. There was the joy of the Lord that it was there. And I learned that night that in walking with Jesus, we must have a heart to follow Him. 
Do you hear what I say? I said, follow Him. Don't follow what I do. Don't try to find for another woman dressed in yellow. It's not following the, the signs and wonders or, or the Word. It is following Jesus. And we follow Him through the Holy Word of God, the Holy Scriptures. That's the foundation. That's the grounding. But in our heart must be a spiritual hunger, a spiritual thirst to follow. Here's the second principle. Having the faith to believe. Look at Joshua chapter 3, verse 13. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. Joshua had to exercise faith in believing the promise of God. So notice, it wasn't up to Joshua to negotiate with God, either the timing or the manner of the crossing. Joshua did not go to God and say, God, <clears throat> this is not a convenient time to cross the river. It's in flood tide. How about waiting a month or two and maybe we'll try to get across? Did Joshua say that? No. He knew that God said, uh, and he will follow in faith. You just take the priest, bring the ark across, the waters will part. It wasn't up to him to decide on the manner of the crossing. Can you imagine Joshua coming to the congregation, to the people of God and said, Hey guys, we have to cross this uncrossable river, so I'm going to divide all of you into three groups. All those of you gathered here are the experienced swimmers. You just swim across. God bless you. Now, in this group here are those who know a bit about swimming, but you need some remedial classes. Caleb will be by the Jordan River. You have some practice strokes, and when you gain confidence, you swim across with the experienced swimmers, right? Now, for this group who can't swim, we will hold a prayer meeting for you. <laughs> he didn't say that. It was faith. Now, in Christendom, there are four expressions of faith, three of which are pseudo-faith. Not real faith, counterfeit faith. The first counterfeit faith is simply to say God can. Do you realize God can is not a statement of faith? Why? It's simply a theological truth. Of course, God can. He's God. The second is to say God will. So we felt we have matured from God can heal you to God will heal you. That's a statement of faith. Well, I'm glad to report that there are divine healings of God's miraculous grace and power, but there are times God does not choose to heal. So to say God heal may be presumptuous faith. That's the third. God must. Lord, I've been your servant for over 25 years. You must answer my prayer or you must heal me. That's not necessary faith. That sounds to me more like a spiritual spoiled bread. Lord, you must. What is faith? Faith is not God can, God will, or God must. Faith is God is. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For they, do come, they that come to Him must believe that He is and that He is the rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. God is in control. God is faithful. God is good. God will bring His redemptive purposes to pass because He is God. 
We must recapture the grandeur of God in our discipleship. God is everything. And if God is everything, God is enough. Enough for all our challenges in life, all the dark days and difficulties, because God is God. Everything. Our Christianity and discipleship has become too lame, too sane, too tame. We have lost the radicalness in discipleship. The word radical simply means, uh, come from the word, word radix, which means roots. We must come back to that rootedness. The ecclesiastical rhetoric today is readiness. As senior pastors, we are used to asking our staff, are you ready? We ask the church, are you ready? We ask the young people, are you ready? Ready for God to advance. Ready to advance His kingdom. It's an important question, but it's not the foundational question. The foundational question is not, are you ready? Especially for young people. For young people, the question is not first, are you ready? The first question for them is, are you rooted? Are you rooted in the Word of God? Are you rooted in the deep doctrines of God? Are you rooted in the deep things of God? Are you rooted in the community and the faith of God, uh, the people of God? Are you rooted? Because if they are not rooted, they cannot be ready. In discipleship, it is about bringing them back to fall in love with Jesus and to follow Him so that as a fellowship together, we come in that rootedness of the Holy Scriptures, where the Holy Spirit and the Lord Jesus Himself points us towards. It is written, it is written, it is written. And discipleship must come back to that rootedness. It is the very foundation of faith. faith. About two years ago, I was preaching in Perth, Australia in a discipleship conference. Father came to me and said, my son is very sick. He's only 22 years old. His name is Coburn, suffering from cancer. Pastor, can you please come and pray for him? I said, immediately after the conference, I'll come to your house, I'll pray for your son. Went to his house, and the first thing he said to me is, Pastor, can I tell you a story? I'm a preacher, I love stories. But I was very surprised that the father who urgently asked me to come to his house, the first thing he wants to do is to tell me a story. So I said, sure. And he said, well, do you remember Mr. Tan you prayed for? I prayed for different ones. I forgot who Mr. Tan is. He refreshed my memory. He said, oh, Mr. Tan is 81 years old. He was in a coma. Of course, I remember praying for an 81-year-old man in coma. He had a brain hemorrhage, went to hospital, and the doctor said he needed immediate surgery. Family signed the, the uh, release. He went into surgery. He never woke from surgery. In fact, there was a high fever. They couldn't detect what viral attack it was, but the fever was so high, it was frying his brains. So that even if he woke up from his coma, because the fever is so high and so long, and it has, you know, it's burning his brains, he would probably wake up a vegetable. It was at that critical moment I was brought in to pray for Mr. Tan. And this father asked me, did anyone tell you what happened to Mr. Tan? I said, no. He said, Mr. Tan, after you prayed for him, recovered from his coma. But that's not the surprising thing. He woke up from his coma with his memory completely intact. In fact, he was putting on his clothes 
and he asked his family members, where's my hundred dollars? He remembered. And the father says, I drove him home and he was able to give me directions to his house. He remembered completely and then he leaned forward to me, the father, and he said with anticipation, now pastor, can you pray for my son? Now, here's my question. If you're in my shoes, what will you say? Well, God can hear an old man, he can hear a young man, bring it on. That would be presumptuous faith because there are times God doesn't choose to heal. Nor could I say, well, at first it might be by luck, so let's try our luck again. It wasn't luck. So what is faith? I, I, I turn to the Word of God. Proverbs um, 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. He shall direct your path. I say to the Father, if God doesn't heal Coburn, would you still follow him and serve him, glorify him? He said, yes. Bring Coburn down. Coburn came down. I said the same thing, Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. If God doesn't heal you, will you still follow him? Yes. He came to the living room. My wife Anne and I laid our hands, prayed for him. A simple prayer. Because we are not the healer, God is. Then I flew off to, to Singapore. That was on a Monday. Three days later on the Thursday, the father called up and said, Pastor, I want you to be the first to know. I took Coburn to the hospital. They did a checkup. His tumor was completely gone without a trace. The grandeur of God. We must have the heart to follow, the faith to believe. But here's the last principle. We must have the courage to act. One of the fundamental principles of discipleship I teach in different parts of the world is that truth doesn't change lives. Can you say that to the one next to you? Truth doesn't change lives. Come on, say with conviction. Truth doesn't change lives. I shared this in a pastor's, uh, prayer, uh, no, pastor's conference, Baptist pastors, and there was an old, wonderful uh, Baptist missionary sitting behind he was folding his hand. He was frowning. I could see the gears turning in his head. What do you mean truth doesn't change lives? Until he heard the second part and then he lightened up. The second part is this. Truth doesn't change lives. It is truth applied that changes lives. That's discipleship. It is truth applied that changes lives. We need not just the heart to follow, it's important, and the faith to believe, which is great. We need the courage to act. Because without acting upon it, nothing happens. You can hear a message from God today, you can go through an entire year of Bible college or three years, but if we do not act upon what God has said in His Word, nothing happens. So this is Joshua. He had the courage and the faith to act upon it. Look at verse 15. Joshua chapter 3, verse 15. And as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark would dip in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. Verse 16. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap. Courage to act, to see the mighty work of God. They have to come into the water. 
Now imagine if this is the Jordan's edge and, and this is the river. This is the water. The Bible says they have to step in. If you were with me carrying the ark as the Levitical priest and we are nearing the water, did the waters part if we are nearing the water? No. We are now right at the edge of the water. Right at the edge, did the waters part? No. What if I did this? Did the waters part? No, we got to step into the river by faith and act upon it. And when the priest came in, did the waters part? No, nothing happened. I know what some of you are thinking, but that's not in my Bible. My Bible says it parted. Read what follows after this. Verse 16. The waters coming down from above stood and rose in one heap very far away. And it was very specific. The geographical location at Adam, the city that is beside Zarating. For a long time, Bible scholars don't know where the city of Adam is. It's lost. But they found the city of Zarating, and the Bible says that the city of Adam is beside the city of Zarating. So when you take where the people were, directly opposite Jericho, where they were marching towards. And from that point, you mark, you mark to the city of Zarating to, to identify the near location, the proximity of the city of Adam. It's about 12 to 15 miles away. Here's my question. Why did God part the waters so far away? Was it one tired morning and, and God didn't have his cosmic caffeine and his eyes were half closed and he went boom and it missed and that's why it's so far away? No, the Bible tells us God neither slumber nor sleep. Did he delegate out the task? Did he say, any angels like to do some miracles today and Gabriel went like, me, Lord, me. And God says, okay, Gabriel, come down. And Gabriel was very excited. Is it now, Lord? Is it now? No, wait, wait, wait. They have to step in the water. They stepped in. Lord, is it now? Yes. Gabriel went, boom. And because he was a novice at water parting miracle, it was 12 to 15 miles away. Was that the story? No. So here's the question. When I studied this text, the compelling question that gripped my heart is God has the power to part the waters where they were. Why did God part it, in the words of the Bible, very far away? If you visit Israel and you stand where the river Jordan is, you cannot see 12 to 15 miles away. In other words, where they stood in the river, because they couldn't see so far away, with the waters all coming down, the waters had already stopped, but the rest of the waters are flowing down, as far as they were concerned, nothing seems to be happening. I don't know about you, but the priests go like, oh, somebody have messed up. The people go like, what happened? I don't know, I don't like to be in Joshua's shoes. He must have gone like, God, don't play me out. Why did God do that? There is a theological principle behind that. As I look at this narrative, I see God strengthening their faith. In the waters, he has already parted. But as far as they were concerned, nothing seems to be happening. In the corridors of time, in church history, we find God's miraculous answers of prayer. Sometimes it's like that. We pray, God has already answered. But as far as we are concerned, in time-space history where we are, nothing seems to be happening, but God has already mightily been at work. Don't lose faith. 
Because God knows what He's about. And I believe why He needed to do that was to strengthen the faith. And the reason why He needed to strengthen the faith, they were not crossing the Jordan in order to have a party the other side. They were crossing the Jordan to enter and possess the land that God has promised. Their faith muscles have to be strengthened. And the reason why their faith muscles have to be strengthened, their faith was in God, yes, but it was based upon an old paradigm. What's the old paradigm? Moses crossing the Red Sea. How many of you have watched uh, the Ten Commandments? Chester Heston, can I see your hand? Shows your age, yeah. How many of you have watched uh, the animated version, The Prince of Egypt? Wow, young at heart too. Fantastic. Now, in The Prince of Egypt, I like that version. He took the staff and went boom, and the waters went bam, he parted. Spectacular. The people of God expected that. They were telling each other, Oh, God is on the move. We heard it from our grandfather, who tells us stories that his father has told him about how Moses, the man of God, parted the Red Sea. Watch, God is doing it again. And in that paradigm, God will do the same thing in the same manner over again. They had to learn that this is a new day and God is doing a new work in a new way. I am blessed in Singapore as a Chinese uh, pastor to, to be beneficiary of the Western missionaries from America who has come to bless Singapore in the Far East. We are beneficiaries of it. Today, God is sending me as a Chinese pastor from the Far East to come to you in this American church and say to you, thank you so much for your labor of love in the Far East, but we have a message for you. This is a new day and God is in a new work, in a new way. And it's time for the Church of America to arise. God is on a move in Africa, in Asia, in Latin America, and He wants to visit America in a fresh way. And we need to have a heart to believe. Uh, we have the heart to follow, the faith to believe, and the courage to act. And lay hold of the redemptive purposes of God for the nations. Today, Pasadena. Tomorrow, the world. God wants to send His revival fire from where you are. So that your Christianity and mine is not all the same, too same, too lame, too tame. There is a fire. There is a passion. There is a mission of God. And we arise in faith knowing these are the last days. And God is mightily at work. Oh, my dear friends, my time is caught up with me. I want to lay upon your heart what the Lord has laid upon mine. That He's mighty on the move at these are the last days. And He's calling His church, the church of God, the greatest spiritual agent for the greatest spiritual transformation of all times. The church of Jesus to arise in faith. A church that will embrace the redemptive purposes of God for His mission of discipling the nation. That's the great commission. Disciple the nations. And it begins with us walking in radical discipleship, recapturing the grandeur of God and having the heart to follow wherever He leads, the faith to believe His promises and His word and the courage to act 
for what He calls us to do, then the waters part and it becomes unstoppable. It is all rooted in the grandeur of God manifested in Jesus, our King. Would you bow with me and pray? Lord Jesus, you teach us to follow, follow you. Thank you for coming to die on the cross for us and on Easter rising from the dead. Now we ask of you, Heavenly Father, deposit this truth in our hearts that our eyes may once again be focused on Jesus. As you bow your heads, close your eyes. I believe each time the pages of Scripture is open, God summons us to a response. Today He calls you to follow Him afresh. To believe that this is a new day and He's doing a new work in a new way in your life, in this historic church. And if you're saying, yes, Lord, I hear you. I want a fresh walk with you. I want that newness. I want to grow in that discipleship unto Jesus. If there is a spiritual hunger, a spiritual thirst in your heart this morning, and you know God has spoken, I'd like you to respond to Him. I'd like to give you an invitation to say, Lord, in this year, do a new work in my life, new work in my heart, so that whatever challenges and difficulties and dark days, I stand victorious in Christ because I learned the key of having the heart to follow, the faith to believe, and the courage to act. If this is your response, this is your heart's cry, right now would you raise up your hand? I want to pray for you right now. Oh, many of you here, are there any others? Would you raise up your hand? Lord, I want you to do a new work in a new way in my life that I might stand victorious. Is there anyone else? Oh, Heavenly Father, I thank you for these hands that have been raised up. And I ask, oh God, that you do a fresh work of a fresh walk with you. Grant to us a spiritual hunger to walk with you. We thank you for that. You may please put your hand down. I want to pray a special prayer for those who are sick. Those of you needing prayer because you are ill. I cannot promise you that God will heal, but I can promise you in the light of His Word, God is faithful and God is loving. And so if you are ill and you like to be prayed for, for healing, would you raise up your hand? I want to pray for you this day. Here's what I'd like you to do as you raise up your hand so I can see you and pray for you. Would you stand where you are? And as you stand, needing prayer for healing, would you put your hand to where the pain is or the ailment is? If it's at your neck or your back or your stomach or your chest, wherever the pain is, would you put your hand there? I'd like to pray for you. I am not a miracle worker. I'm not a healer. I'm a servant of God and I believe Jesus is. And I believe He's faithful, He's compassionate, He's kind, and He's loving. And so as you put your hand where your ailment is, I'd like to come in the name of Jesus and pray for you. Eternal God and Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. And thank you for sending Jesus, our Messiah, and He comes as also the Master Physician in His compassion to heal. And this day, in the name of Jesus, whatever the ailments that have been plaguing my dear brothers and sisters here, would you heal? Would you lay your healing hand and restore? Restore health from the tip of their toe to the top of the head. Restore healing and health and wholeness. I thank you for that, Father. 
We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord.